Mary, you're the one with the special education experience. So I'd like to know, what's the difference between a struggling reader and one with a learning disability? Good question, Shannon. Can't wait to dive into this one today. This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Welcome to the Reading Teacher Sound Podcast. Hi, I'm Shannon Betts, and I've been teaching for over 16 years. My specialty is locating the missing pieces in a student's reading development and choosing just right activities to fill those gaps. You can find me online at readingdevelopment.com and at rdngdevelopment on Twitter and Instagram. Hi, I'm Mary. I'm a reading tutor, and I've taught all elementary grades. I have Orton-Gillingham training, and I've been helping students with reading issues and dyslexia for 10 years. I love talking all things teaching. I believe that humor goes a long way when asking students and teachers to do hard things. So I'm excited to share with Shannon and learn along with all of you. So the big thing about um, a struggling learner and um, a person who has a diagnosis of dyslexia is that there is no magic wand to just fix their reading issues. Um, having reading issues is really, um, well, let me start again and say having dyslexia is a lifelong issue. You're always going to be a person with dyslexia. So the question is really, what does that mean? What does a person with dyslexia have? Or, there's a lot of misconceptions about people who reverse their letters and letters just float over the page, but that's really just scratching the surface. Um, the big thing to know about dyslexia is that it is actually a spectrum disorder and it can affect any of the reading components that we talk about, um, but specifically it has a lot to do with, um, with decoding and understanding the phoneme level, the very basic foundational reading skills. Um, there's a lot of information that goes into it, but I just want to reiterate that there is no magic wand. The magic wand comes from targeted instruction. Um, the great news is, is that the brain is so flexible and it can rewire itself and it can become more and more efficient. And with good targeted instruction, um, people who are dyslexic can become good readers. They can become better readers. They may always be slower readers, um, but it is not a reflection of their intelligence at all, their ability to read. It is a reflection of their ability to decode and encode. Encode is the opposite of decoding. It is the spelling piece of it. It is um, not breaking down words to put them together, but segmenting words to take them apart and actually write them down. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the original question, which is, what is the difference between a student who is struggling with reading and then a person with dyslexia? Um, and basically the short answer is a diagnosis. A psychologist will do um, some psychological testing and a full evaluation, which we call a multifactorial evaluation. And um, they are gonna break down all of the processes that the reading brain does and then give the score. Um, some students who are struggling readers will probably be on the higher spectrum and be more capable of overcoming these difficulties. 
Um, if you are a struggling reader, you may also struggle with lower IQ. You may be a person who struggles with um, other health impairments, um, such as ADHD and other distractibility. Um, it could actually mean a number of different other things. What came to mind, we've just been listening to the Hard Words podcast that's gone viral. In the, the APM reports. Yes. so excellent. And so um, what I was wondering, too, is that some of the struggling readers just might not have learned how to decode. And once they learn how to decode, they learn to read just fine what but a student with dyslexia, even when they are taught how to decode, might still have struggles. Absolutely. So um, Orton-Gillingham is um, a methodology that is known as the gold standard of reading. And what it really um, teaches is a systematic approach using multi-sensory teaching to help address um, the phonics instruction. So it's a it's a multi-sensory phonics-based approach that also uses a specific sequence um, that is dedicated to the individual needs of that student. And is that for struggling readers or students with dyslexia or both? It is actually for both. It is the gold standard of reading instruction, and it has been for more than 60 years now, actually. Um, you do have to be specifically trained, um, and certification is uh, a really high priority by anyone who is trained by a fellow. So you could have 10 um, hours of training and you would be considered trained, but having a certificate um, or an associate level or higher level is actually a, a, an important distinction. So if you are a parent or another teacher, you really need to understand and know what kind of level certification or training you have if you do have this training. Um, but let's go back to what the struggling reader um, may deal with, and you're absolutely right. The instruction is the piece that is key. And again, there is no magic wand. So if you are um, using a whole language approach to, with a reader who has decoding issues and you're not specifically teaching that reader to decode um, and use phonics and even back it up a little bit further to other foundational skills, including phonemic awareness um, and and some other basic uh, letter recognition things, uh, then, then that student is always constantly going to struggle with reading. And it may or may not be apparent um, until about third grade. Third grade is really a big key time in school, and I'm sure you've heard it, and countless parents have heard it, but in third grade there's this big shift and from learning to read to reading to learn. Absolutely. So you are now becoming, as a third grader, responsible for your own learning by reading it yourself. And that means that you need to be um, able to be fluent and have comprehension skills up at a level that's... So the decoding is automatic at that point. Absolutely. So when you are decoding really large multisyllabic words, that can be really challenging. And it's so funny, I was chatting with um, an adult friend of mine today who was taking some nursing classes and she needed to take an anatomy class. She had never been taught phonics before. She was always taught in a whole language approach. And now in her 30s, she looks at me and she says, I need you to tutor me. I don't know how to read. I've never felt so stupid in my whole life. Was it the scientific names and Latin names for the body parts? Exactly. And, and so, um, you know, in 
in my wholehearted, you know, sincerest approach, I really did break out my morphology cards, which include Greek and Latin roots. And we really broke down, you know, what does the root word look like? How do you pronounce it? How does it change as you add um, more prefixes or suffixes onto the word? Um, so it is, it is true that it can be taught, and sometimes it needs to be targeted instruction. <laughs> At whatever age. At whatever age that is. So um, I hope that that uh, helps you understand. And I'm going to break down a little bit more about kind of the process of how schools evaluate students. Um, here in Georgia, we are kind of a hopefully a big turning point um, in actually starting to say dyslexia. Many schools don't actually say um, they never diagnosed students with dyslexia, but they won't even say in um, the legal documents that the student has dyslexia. No, it always just says specific learning disability. Exactly. And the reason that it says specific learning disability is still a mystery to me. I'm not sure why we're not calling out what it is, but there has been um, a really nice Senate Some hearing. Some politics oh, behind that. Exactly. Um, I have my own opinion, but we'll just keep moving on about that. Right now, um, the if you um, suspect that uh, your student either your own child or a child in your class um, is a struggling reader, then you are going to look at the targeted instruction, probably from a universal screener like map tests and um, some other pre-assessment data that you have taken from the beginning of the year. And you are going to meet with your SST team. And SST stands for Student Support Team. And of course, the acronyms vary throughout schools, but the Student Support Team is responsible for RTI. And RTI is Response to Intervention. And I went to an RTI training one time, and he said, I equals I. So intervention equals instruction. And that was really helpful to me to remember that are they responding to extra instruction? Oh, that's wonderful. I really like that. I know because the acronyms get to be so complicated. Um, what you really need to know about what this team of teachers who include um, an administrator, the general education teacher, and then um, sometimes, uh, sometimes the school counselor sits in, um, sometimes other teachers if there's a team of teachers, but mostly it's, it's a meeting that includes people who are responsible for student data um, and what they are doing is using data um, to make decision making data-based instruction for decision making for the students so what we're doing is progress monitoring and screening to improve student outcomes um, and the goal with that is to provide a multi-level prevention system I don't know about you, but that kind of gets a little wordy to me. Yeah, there's a nice little triangle. I like looking at the RTI triangle. I do too. So everybody imagine a triangle, and at the base of the triangle... That's um, the biggest part of the triangle. It's just like a normal-shaped triangle where the pointy end is at the top. Exactly. So um, on the base, uh, that's Tier 1, and Tier 1 is high-quality core instruction. That is whole group instruction. It is... The, the everyday instruction that the general education teacher provides for all students. And most students fall into that part of the triangle because most students do okay with just the regular instruction provided by the teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and once you start to notice and you realize that some of your students need some of that targeted instruction, then what you're going to provide as the general education teacher is some moderate evidence-based instruction in a small group setting. So you're going to do just as Shannon had spoken spoke about in our previous um, 
uh, episode, you're going to look at your small group and you are going to use some evidence-based intervention and you are going to get those um, techniques from the administrator and or from an instructional coach or someone who can specifically target it. It might even be um, a more senior teacher who has some ideas. And we have leveled in leveled literacy in initiative. Level Literacy Intervention LLI kits from Fountas and Pinnell in our district, and that's our Tier 2 instruction. Right. So sometimes... So that's what we're providing in our small group. And that's what... That's, you know, a, a, now that's a smaller part of the triangle. So mm -hmm. there's, you know, maybe 5 to 10 kids in the class who, in order to be successful, need small group instruction. But with your high-quality whole group and your small group, that should be enough for them to be successful. Right. And... However, you may or may not determine that you have some kids who are still in need of more intensive instruction. And those are your students who are your outliers on test scores, um, who are um, not able to just stay with the rest of the class in the same course that you're teaching. And that means that they need some intensive intervention. Um, that's Jim, tier three. That's the top part of the of the triangle or some school districts bring it all the way up to tier four. Right. Some school districts will say that special education is the tier four instruction um, where it's it, it's even more intensive instruction. Um, three is really the top of the triangle for our general purposes today. So we're just going to be speaking about the intensive instruction because this is where the teacher is going to collect data. So if um, a teacher or a, a parent suspects that they may, uh, their child student may need um, an IEP, an individualized education plan, and qualify for special education services in a public school, um, you're going to have the teachers uh, reach out to the parents and say, our SST meeting um, has convened and we have noticed that there are some low scores for your student, we would like to do a psychological evaluation and they will reach out and they have to get written permission in order to do a psychological evaluation. Yeah, it's a process. Like back in the day, a parent could just come to school and say, I think my student has a learning problem and I think the process was a little bit faster and teachers could kind of, you know, jump through the process a little bit faster. But now there's timelines and we we as teachers have to follow steps where we observe at tier one for a while then we right document what we're doing the small group for a while at tier two before we can even get to the student support team level and and the the problem with that is that parents and teachers often get frustrated and they can label it as a, a wait to fail um, model and in some cases it may be but what what the guarantee is is that the instruction is high quality and you yes. have to actually determine and make sure that the instruction that the student is provided is um, adequate instruction. And can they, the RTI, those letters that drive mm -hmm. it, are they responding to instruction? If they get this intensive instruction and they make that improvement, yes. then it, it might not necessarily be a learning disability. They might have just needed that instruction. So, and that's kind of the difference between a struggling reader and then a child who may have a more significant learning disability. Um, and so that really brings us to the next point. But before I jump too far ahead, I do want to make a point to say that there are some parents who will go out and seek a private psychological evaluation. Um, and 
that is all well and good. It is provided free by the school um, if you start the process with um, reaching out to the school and saying that um, your child is in need. They will say the SST team will convene, we will provide the RTI instruction, and then there is a period of time as Shannon just spoke about. If you approach the school and say, look, I have um, a private psychological evaluation that's already been done, the school is still going to say, we still need to take data on the student. Um, you can actually meet and look at the data, but regardless, you do need to have some solid data. And the reason for that is when you are determining eligibility in special education, there are some really big questions. And the big two questions that you have to um, speak to is, does the student qualify for um, one of the 13 conditions that are outlined in IDEA, which is the law that provides the Individuals with Disabilities Act, um, that can be a student with autism, they might have an other health impairment category, they may have multiple disabilities. Um, you can go online and you can check. I'll also send set a link up. Um, so one, does your child already have um, a listed condition? And two, does your child need services and accommodations to succeed at school? Is there an adverse effect of their disability on their success at school? Does, do they need to have different um, accommodations and instruction? And that big question causes a lot of controversy at times. Um, but it, is that it, question in the law itself? It is. That's how you start to determine eligibility. So um, I sort of jumped ahead, but um, after the um, the allotted time for the RTI process takes place and the SST team has met, then there is another meeting that the parents come to and attend, and it is the determination for eligibility in special education. And up to this point, a special education teacher has not participated in interventions at that point. Um, and what is determined then is the psychological report is read through um, and the person who evaluated it gives some feedback. They offer what the score interpretation is and then this determination question is answered either yes, the student does qualify for an IEP or no, the student does not qualify for an IEP. It's the gatekeeper question. It really is. And it is important because um, in the past there have been um, some problems with cultural issues and people getting in um, who maybe did not necessarily need to qualify and were placed in classrooms that were not giving them appropriate education. So uh, in the end, this is what it's really, really, really coming down to is that all students should be afforded in the United States free, um, appropriate public education. And the acronym for that is FAPE. Free, appropriate is the really key word. Is the um, appropriate instruction that they are receiving appropriate to their needs? Um, so I'm going to come back to the piece where um, after this determination is met, I, uh, there's one more piece I wanted to add, and that is if you don't qualify for an IEP and you still see that your student um, is struggling as a teacher or as a parent, um, 
they may or may not qualify for a 504 plan. And a 504 plan provides access to the curriculum with accommodations that are appropriate to them. It does not necessarily provide differentiated instruction, but it does provide different accommodations. So an example could be um, a student who has ADHD, doesn't have um, big swings in their scores, but perhaps would really benefit from sitting close to the teacher, taking their test um, with a little additional time uh, in a small group setting. And, and the, those accommodations may be enough for them. Um, I guess here's the real big question then related to reading. And that is what does the specialized instruction look like for a child with an IEP, Ooh. right? So. Um, it looks different in all schools. So because it's individualized? Because it's individualized, but it also really is determined by the resources that the district provides the teacher and the training that the teacher already has. Okay. So um, as a, I, I am trained as a teacher educator through the Orton-Gillingham Academy, and so um, I have the ability to teach in a large group, small group setting, or also one-on-one -on -one tutoring using these multi-sensory techniques. Um, and uh, that is the gold standard of reading um, instruction for a student with dyslexia. Not all schools are able to do that. So when I was teaching previously in the IEP, um, we're going to write down what are the services that the child receives and needs to receive. Very, 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 very rarely are you going to see that the student is going to need an OG approach to learning reading. And that is because Orton-Gillingham teachers are few and far between. And that may or may not be available at the school that the student attends right now. And should that student move um, to a different state or a different county or a different school, they also would then be legally obligated to have that same level of instruction that's described in their IEP. Well, also if we're not using the dyslexia word. Right, so then it becomes, um, the way that I often worded it um, for my students who really needed this targeted instruction, we would say they need a phonics-based multi-sensory approach to learning reading. I see. So there you are some- describe it without naming it. Exactly. Um, so, uh, the next question is, what does a struggling reader look like in the general education classroom? Maybe you can hit that one a little bit, <laughs> because I'm sure you see struggling readers. That's probably going to be your tier two instruction. Yes, and I will say that a lot, uh, most of the struggling readers that I've met over the years, especially the ones that are in fourth and fifth grade, um, are full of coping skills because they are hiding the big secret that they can't read. Mm -hmm. So... Sometimes you don't even know who it is and you're a little bit surprised. Yes. So we've said this before, but you absolutely have to listen to your kids read because yeah. as soon as you do that, it, in one minute, it pulls back the curtain and you know if they can read or not. So I'll link to, um, I've made a free document called um, Struggling Readers Checklist, Observation Checklist of just certain things that I've noticed that kids do. I will. Um, Good. To I'm kind so of hide glad. the great secret. And so I'll link to that in the show notes if people want to download it. Um, just to kind of open your eyes and um, to know what to look for. Yeah, absolutely. But obviously they can't read. So that's that's what we're calling a struggling reader. Or 
not just can't read, but they might have some sight words and some decoding abilities, but it, the decoding is an automatic. They're still having to use most of their brain power to figure out the words. Right. And so then they don't have as much time to think about comprehension and to doing the more complicated reading tasks that um, are required as the as students advance in the grades. What I often find too is that there might be some readers who don't appear to be struggling because if they are um, they are able to access the test text that it's read aloud to them, they may have very strong comprehension skills. Well, they have really good listening comprehension. That's one of their coping skills. Well, and that's what I was going to kind of reiterate again. It's another way that they kind of hide behind um, the little incremental pieces where they struggle. And so we want to make sure that those foundational skills are very strong so that we are providing um, this foundation that can continue well past third grade well into life. I will say, as soon as I was able to help the students with their decoding abilities, they did. They could make quick growth because they had a stronger comprehension. Uh-huh. You know that they were all of a sudden able to piggyback. You know and start the ball rolling as soon as that decoding became more and more and more automatic and they became more and more fluent. Mm-hmm. They were able to grow as readers. Well, and that comes back to the point where they start to really gain confidence. Um, in their own abilities because they're taking ownership of their own learning and their own reading in, in that way. Um, there's So I'm also going to link to some resources. I love understood.org as a parent resource. I think that... Never been to that one. Really? I'll have to go to it too. Oh my goodness. They have the, the greatest um, articles that are so easy to read, very quick reads, things that you can just save for your rainy day and pull up when you need it. Um, just quick snapshots of what um, parents can do, what teachers can do, some other resources from experts. It's an excellent website. Um, and then also, um, I'm gonna, so I'm going to link to those resources. My, my next recommendation, I, I'm a little hesitant, but I do think that it goes a long way, um, is hiring a private tutor if you suspect that your child is having some difficulties with reading. Because at times, that one-in-one in, uh, instruction is going to really just help them find the confidence, find the problem areas where they are um, you know, struggling, and really that one-on-one instruction with a teacher who is well-versed in what they're doing. If your um, tutor shows up with just regular worksheets that look very similar to what they're doing in your class setting, that may not necessarily be a very good fit. Um, the tutor should really focus on some specialized instruction for your child and be able to talk about what your child's needs are. Um, okay, so I'm going to reiterate and say that there is no magic wand, sorry to tell you. Um, special education teachers may or may not be trained with specialized instruction for teaching reading. They do have access to different resources though, and that's the important piece. Um, multisensory phonics-based approach is the best approach when working with a struggling reader. And there are many programs that are available to schools that use direct instruction. But as anyone knows, the direct instruction is only as good as the teacher. I'll I'll bring more about that in a a future episode because I have kind of a comical story about that. Um, It was great chatting with you about this. Yes, thank you. I learned a lot from you today. Oh, this is great. Take care, everyone.